Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show. Today we have a very special guest. If you've been living under a mountain for the last couple <laughs> not years. Not just the rock. Not just the rock. A mountain. Okay. But an actual mountain. Everest, in fact. <laughs> uh, you know, our, our guest today is Victor Cruz. My friend, thank you for being here. New York Giants star, broadcaster, fashion icon. Oh, Thank you for being here. Is there more? That's it? We're That's good? it. Okay, That's, okay. It. We'll leave That's it. it for now. The rest of the podcast <laughs> is your opportunity to lay the foundation for go. those other things. Perfect. I was watching something last night. Okay. I want to open this off talking about your first NFL catch. Okay. A one-handed touchdown mm-hmm. in a preseason game. I have, I hadn't seen it before. I was 10 at the time. Okay. So it was slightly before my time. Okay. But I watched it last night, and I was like, that, that's the original Odell. <laughs> like, he did it before in a game for your very first catch. Do you remember that like it was yesterday? Vividly. I, I remember just, you know, because I was a younger cat, too, right? I, you know, I was a rookie free agent, and I was low on the total pole at the time. I had to wait my turn. I remember waiting the entire first half to even get in the game in the third quarter. And... Um, as soon as I got in the game, I was like jitters. But like once we broke the huddle, I was like, I'm ready. I could, you know, like this is what I waited for. You know what I mean? So uh, it was the play was called um, it's like pro left whatever hitches. And I remember just having a hitch. But the thing about a hitch is a five yard, pretty much a five yard stop route. But the thing about that, if we got press coverage, we had to convert it to a go. They always said if the guy comes up in your face, we score in touchdowns. So he came up in my face, and I was like, oh, no. Like, why can't I just have a nice, easy five-yard catch and make something happen? Now i got to convert and, you know, see what happens. So I converted, and as soon as I converted, I looked up, and I was like, this ball's in the air. And he was kind of draped on me, kind of like – I kind of had a step on him, but he was still, like, on me. And I remember just sticking my hand out there, and it stuck, and he fell, and I kind of stumbled. And the only thing I was saying to myself was – Boy, you stay better up. get up. Like, stay up. stay up. Do not fall. And I stayed up, man, and got in that end zone. It's crazy. And then you had a couple more touchdowns that game. Then I had two more. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I had two more that game. Um, I just remember, man, just because I had been doing it in practice, right? All we, you know, all throughout training camp, I was just, I was just doing what I had to do to let the coaches know that I'm here. You right. know what I mean? And then once I got. Because you, you know, were fighting to make the team at that time. Of course. I was a free agent out of UMass. I didn't get drafted. I was there just, you know, I didn't I didn't even get, you know, some free agents even got, uh, like, uh, signing bonuses. Right. Like, 30 grand for whatever, whatever it's it was. Good. I, I got nothing. I, I, got no, I got none of that. I got, like, room and board here. Thanks for coming. Right. You know? So, I was proving myself each and every day that I, that I stepped on that football field, whether it was practice, whether it was you know, in the, in the in the meeting rooms, understanding what I had to do, and then putting it out there on the, on the game day. Crazy. Mm-hmm. How much of the NFL, and I've heard this in basketball a lot, how much of it is mental, and how much of it is physical? Well, I'm curious from a football, from an actual player, like because everyone you mm-hmm. know is. I mean, I would say it's almost. If I had to put a number on it, I would say it's seventy percent mental. You know, maybe even a little more because all. You know, the game is the game. Your athleticism and the way you are on the football field, that's not going to change. I mean, you can get better in some regards. Obviously, you can always work on your game and get better. But for the most part, who you are is who you are. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that can separate you is mentally having an advantage on your opponent. So understanding what what plays are being installed for whatever defense you're facing. And not just understand, you know, not just knowing the play and going out there and executing it, but knowing why you're doing that play. Trying to understand what the play caller where your coach or what your offensive coordinator is thinking and why you're implementing that play. So, for example, if I had a play where it was cover two and we ran this certain play to get me open in the middle of the field because that's where the void is, 
I'm understanding that I'm, as soon as I hear the play call in the huddle, I'm like, okay, he must think it's cover two. That's right. why we're calling this, and let me get myself open and mentally gear myself up because I've been getting the ball all week in practice. Now it's come game day, and now it, you'd be surprised how much easier it would become on game day once you mentally get to get everything right during the week. Do you go through everything the day before mentally as far as what routes you're going to be rooting? Just just envisioning you succeeding in it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what I, I kind of because every night we get a our, our offense coordinator kind of gives us the play call sheet of the first 25 right. plays. And those are kind of the things he's thinking about throughout the game that, you know, those are going to be pretty much the first 25, but he'll kind of mix and match. But when he wants to go, when he wants to go back to a go-to play, he's going to go back to those 25. You know, he'll have three on third and three, another four plays on third and six or seven. Right. You know what I mean? He'll have it kind of broken down. So mentally, you already know what he's, what he's thinking. So when you hear those plays being called on third and short or third and five, to, you know, five or better, you know what's coming and you already got to step ahead and you know what coverages are going to be out there and things like that. Now, taking that question up 20 notches, okay. there are not that many people that can answer this question. Mm-hmm. What does one do the night before Super Bowl? Oh, like, man. What? You don't party. Not you at definitely all. don't not party. You definitely don't drink. You definitely don't celebrate. Um, How do you prepare for that? You kind of just try and relax as much as possible. Try to keep your same routine um, that you would do on a normal game. Like, I'd be in the hotel. With, I remember being in the, in the room with Travis Beckham at the time, who was my... My roommate, I was young. I was only, you know, my second year in the league, so I had... I That's had crazy. Yeah, 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 which is pretty That's crazy. insane. Pretty crazy, but... uh but, <laughs> Exactly. But, um, but, yeah, you just try to relax. I mean, there's so much, so many things going through your head. You can't help but watch, you know, ESPN and see what they're talking about and watching yourself doing these interviews or whatever the case may be. Um, but you just try to sit in the room and relax. All your family's around, so I call them or kind of hang out with them within the confines of the hotel. Um, but other than that, you just try to stay as relaxed as possible because you know that next day, chaos is about to ensue. What's the security like during the Super Bowl for the players? Oh my God! It's, are you guys? You guys are getting police oh, escorted everywhere, of right? Of course. Like, it, there's no way. And even when you're outside of that, and you're just trying to walk around, like let's say you have you know some idle time between practice or practice is over, you want to go out to dinner with your family, like you have to you know be strategic on how you move around because. Right. There's no hiding. Everybody, you know, and they know the player hotel. They know where guys are staying. They know, you know, they know the fans know all of that. So you got to kind of either order room service or uh, or have a police escort escort you out the back. What's so crazy about the Super Bowl more than in any other sport? Like other sports are huge and great and amazing, but you know the fact that they're a series it it dumbs it down a little from a viewership and excitement standpoint. Yep. The Super Bowl is the biggest event in the world. Concert, sporting event you know, celebration. Like, more people watch the Super Bowl than all the inaugurations combined. Like, it's not even... It's <laughs> true. It's insane. Yeah. How do you... How do you... Do you even grasp that when you're actually in it? I kind of do. I remember just being in pregame and just wanting to just soak in all the moments, right? I wanted to just be there and live in the moment and kind of, you know, look at everything and obviously do my job and warm up and all of those things. But, like, I wanted to just, like, look around and take it all in and... You know, it's weird, not weird, but it's like, you know you're in the moment, you know you're in the Super Bowl, you know that this is a game unlike any other game you've played all year mm-hmm. long, because you look to the left and you got Michael Irvin, LT, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, you know, Legends. Phil Sims on one side, and you look to the right and you see like Randy Moss, uh, Marshall Falk, um, Kurt Warner, you know, all these guys, and you're just like, okay, all these legends are here, all these Hall of Fame guys or Hall of Fame caliber guys are just 
at this game, and yes, they're at this game because it's the biggest one in the world. And it's the right. big, and the, it's the one that everybody's watching. It's the one that all the all the broadcast networks are into, and, and they want to see the game. Not as many people are watching the Puppy Bowl. Yeah, at, at <laughs> all, at all. I know I'm not. <laughs> yeah, neither am I. Although, if there's a crazy highlight, I might, I might, I might check. But that's out. a highlight. That's different than watching the Very actual different. game and sitting through the commercials. It's hard to commit to an actual game. Yeah. Like even nowadays, like for unless you're at the game. It's very hard to actually sit down and watch a full game without disturbance. And that's one of the reasons I like, I love things where you're not on your phone. Mm-hmm. Podcasts are one of those very, very few things where you're not going to be on your phone for more than 15 seconds. So, very true. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely find that interesting. Now, post, post-career, okay. what are your favorite sporting events to attend? Oh, man, my favorite What's sporting events to attend are... I love soccer matches. I've been seeing some soccer matches in the U.S. lately through... Uh, um, I forget the name of the the brand that's been doing them, but they've been doing. So you see, like Real Madrid against Barcelona, but in MetLife Stadium. Right. You know what I mean. So like seeing those games, um, kind of brought here to the U.S. have been pretty dope, and um, and I've been excited to go watch those. And those kind of been different for me, and like just seeing a different game, just seeing a different sport, just taking it in with the fans. I went to the New York City Football Club game not too long ago as well, and just. Seeing how passionate New York City is for soccer here is insane. Right. I didn't even know that it was this crazy. Like they have rabid fans at these games, and it's like insane. So, I think soccer is one of those. Obviously, my love for basketball has always been, uh, you know, well documented. And football games are kind of a no brainer, I guess. I want to talk about something that just happened on a show that our uh, one of our mutual friends co-produces. Okay. In the state of California, you can now monetize your own brand mm-hmm. as a college athlete. When you saw that, what what did you think? I was excited, man. I was excited for the opportunity that these young college kids are going to have to take control over their their marketing, take control over their likeness, because for so long the NCAA had the control, right? Right. And they weren't even giving out funds to, you know, give to the kid in order, you know, in in retribution for using their name and likeness. Right. Okay, you have number seven. They might not be their name on the back of their jersey, but. When you look at their attributes and you look at their height and weight and you look at what school they go to and you look at the guy in real life, you're like, that's him. Although his name isn't on his jersey, but everyone knows it's him because he's a 93 speed overall. Because he's so doing the freaking salsa dance. Everyone knows <laughs> who it is, guys. Okay. <laughs> so the fact that now college kids will be able to um, you know, take control over that and, and make some money for their families. And let's be honest, a lot of these kids come from impoverished inner city, you know, inner cities that don't have a lot of resources, that didn't have a lot of resources, that football is the way out for them. So for them to be able to have some money to kick back to their families and themselves during college, which is probably one of the toughest times that you'll go through as a, as a, you know, as a kid or as a young adult, um, I'm all for it. And I think, too, I think it's also an incentive for the college athletes to try harder, mm-hmm. honestly. And I, I, I've heard a couple people saying that, oh, people are going to start ball hogging. No! That'll just make you look even worse. Exactly, exactly. People are going to try harder, and especially some of the guys that aren't the stars are going to want to be even more, mm-hmm. because even if they don't go to the next level, which only 0.001% do anyways, mm-hmm. even from the NCAA level, yep. there's incentive there. Yep. And it makes a lot of sense, too, for the schools, because oftentimes these kids don't even have enough money to get the proper food in their system so they can't diet right, mm-hmm. and then they can't play right. Yep. Like These things go hand in hand, and giving them actual resources to take care of themselves I can only see as a positive thing 
unless you're the NCAA and you don't want to give up profits. Yeah, because they want to keep that control. They want to keep their profits to themselves. They don't want. They don't want to open up those books to those kids. So, I think that's just the the, the you know having that state being that law being passed in the state of California. I think it's just step one in the conversation of that being the case across the U.S. But it's going to take time. Obviously, it's not going to happen overnight. Right. It's going to take time, but I think uh, I think it's a step in the right direction for sure. And shout out to obviously the uninterrupted family and LeBron and Maverick and PR and everybody that just you know it's a, it's a monumental thing to have that on their platform and and uh, it's pretty dope. Super cool. Yeah, it's very cool. I remember I watched this little thing on on that first game last night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember LeBron tweeted about you after the game. <laughs> he did, yep. And that was a big deal. Huge. It's funny how it comes full circle. Crazy, right? And Crazy. I remember, and it wasn't until, it's funny because after you tweeted me, um, it wasn't until a couple of years later where I got to actually sit down with him and have like lunch. And like, you know, we finally caught up and had a conversation about it. And we brought it up and he was talking about how like nobody was watching that game and they're like obsessed with fantasy football. And they said the only reason you watch the third and fourth quarters of a preseason game is to catch those fantasy football gems right. kind of on the back right. end. And um, and he was like, man, you, Did he it, pick you up? it was perfect. I think he said he picked me up or I think he said somebody got to me first. I don't quite remember, but um, it was definitely exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that was funny that like Braun was playing fantasy and was like watching the game for that matter. And then <laughs> sees me, shouts me out and then full circle, come back around. We ended up doing business together. He was executive producer on my documentary with Showtime. Like it was just a blessing in disguise, to be honest. Speaking of lunches. If you could have lunch with anybody in the world, three people, not just one, but three, and you can include, for now, living. Okay. Who would you include? Um, wow, one is Barack Obama. I'm with you on that. I gotta just holler at, with I just you gotta on holler that. at him on that one. And then, um, he knows his sports, too. He does. That, that's, obviously, that's gonna be, all of that's gonna be part of the conversation. <laughs> Um, secondly, would have to be... Find out Obama's got you on his fantasy team, too. Um, exactly. That's... Question number one for Obama would be that. Um, secondly would be, hmm, who would it be? I would say Prince. Just cause, I think that's one of those tests, like if you get the opportunity to just holler at Prince, it's like you gotta talk to Prince one time. With you. And then uh, last but not least, I would say, um, I would go with Dr. J. Okay. Julius Irving. I've actually had that. Really? Yeah, I had, I, when I was a senior in high school, I interned for Ice Cube at okay. the Big Three. Okay. And Dr. J was a coach. So I had one dinner where it was me, Dr. J, Ice Cube, and Clyde Drexler. What? Ridiculous. That's insane. And Dr. J was, I was, because his, uh, Clyde Drexler's kids were at the table too. Okay. And they were just talking social media. So we were just talking social. Gosh. And Dr. J didn't understand any of it. <laughs> and at the very end, the only thing he said was, that's why I don't doing none of that shit <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right what the young kids do it that's crazy um, but i went to college when you know i went to umass as well as dr j did and i played so this is gym called the cage where dr j used to play when they when they played there it was like the you know the arena when he was there and it's still there still functioning when i was going to college there i used to play with with along with the basketball team we would play pickup games in the cage so mm -hmm. it was always dope to just look around and be like Dr. J used to be gliding on dudes in here, and I'm in here, you know, shooting threes and playing pickup. Like, this is crazy. So, um, so yeah, I think Dr. J would be one of those. If it wasn't football, 
would it have been basketball for you? I think so. I mean, I was a, at least in my own brain, I was a basketball player first. Okay. And, and, and uh, I mean, I was. I started playing basketball first in high school. When I got to high school, I played basketball freshman and sophomore year. I didn't even start playing football until my junior year of high school. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So At all? At all. I mean, I played like Little League. I played Little League and yeah. stuff like that, eighth grade. But once I got to high school, I was like, man, like, I'm a basketball player. That's crazy. Yeah, pretty crazy. So I distinctly remember when I changed, it was uh, – it was uh, my college, I mean, my high school coach, my high school football coach, who obviously wasn't my football coach at the time. He came up to me after my sophomore year, like during my sophomore year, and he says, uh, he said, you know, they give out double the scholarships in football than they do in basketball, mm-hmm. right? And I kind of looked in the mirror and was like, I'm 5'11 and three quarters on a good day. Let me give this football, football thing a shot. Yeah, let me see what this is about. So I went out there. And I remember the first, my first practice. Mind you, like, I played bad. I mean, I played football. I knew what football was. I knew how to play, but I hadn't played at the high school level, let alone right. being a junior already. And like, yeah. I'm coming in a little behind the eight ball here. Right. But the first practice, I sat down and I was stretching. And my cousin Lorenzo Crawford, who was an All-American, All-State, he graduated in like year nine, 99, 2000 from the same high school. Mm. And he happened to be there during the summer. And he was like, uh, my coach goes to him. And he goes, see your cousin right here? He's gonna break all your records. And I was like, man, I was like, well, like, this is my first day. Like, but I ended up breaking all his records. But one. There was one Whoa. touchdowns record that I didn't break. But I ended up breaking all, all the he other ones. He was right. He was right. It was crazy. I mean, that's a much better approach than having to make the team. Yeah, it happened you know, like by Training scratch. camp, get yeah, three yeah, touchdowns exactly. in your first game just to make it. Like, exactly. Very different vibe. Yeah. Um, that's fun, though. Uh, three people you could have dinner with, living or dead. Okay, living or dead. So my first three were living, right? So, oh, well, one was one was dead, Prince. Um, okay, three more. That I'm doing. Okay, one would be Big Pun. I mean, just because, you know, Puerto Rican and his music and, like, all of the above. And then the second would be, I mean, I'm, I'm going heavy rap now, but Biggie Smalls. I mean, like, how could you not want to talk to, like, the best rapper, in my opinion, that ever lived go. and hear his story? Um, and then last but not least, I would go with, hmm, I mean, I, I mean, why would I not want to holler at Michael Jackson, right? There you like, go. The king of pop. Now, parlaying kind of off of that, okay. how did you start to get interested in fashion? And I, I know you're friends with a lot of artists, so mm-hmm. in music as well. Um, that just kind of, it kind of happened. I was like, you know, I always loved the way I, you know, the way I always love to dress well. And I always love to just be knowledgeable about what I'm wearing and be knowledgeable about different designers and not just, you know, not just seeing their collections, but getting the backstory as to why they're building these collections. When, when did that happen for you? So that happened for me, I mean, as far back as I can remember, I remember, you know, seeing my dad get out of the car in, in a white, fresh, crisp button down shirt tucked in with suspenders and a mm. pair of black trousers, and the shirt was open, you know, buttoned up because he had, you know, he had a little physique, so he had the shirt out, which is <laughs> probably where I get, you know, some of my shirts That's from funny. and things like that. But and I remember being like, wow, like, Pops looks fresh. And then right. the next day, he would come to my house in a white, you know, cut-sleeved T-shirt with a Yankee hat to the back and Maurice Malone shorts with one side cuffed up like we used to do back in And I'd just be like, yo, Pops is literally living in both worlds right now like he could literally show up to you know a, a, a salsa dance off in the first outfit with the suspenders mm. in some high level penthouse spot in new york city 
Then the next bite, you can show up to the local softball game with all the homies are at and have a drink. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I want to be like that. That's impressive. So I think I've just seen that when I was a kid just led me to want to dress well and have people talk about the way I dress and things like that. And then, obviously, as I became more knowledgeable, I just took it to, you know, the, the, another level. Yeah, I'm starting to learn that. I heard there was one quote that I really liked a couple months ago. Conor McGregor said it. Mm-hmm. He There was this kid interviewing him with, like, a weird mic or whatever and was just, like, wearing a T-shirt. And he's like, if you want to look the part, you gotta, you got to dress the part. you got to <laughs> act the part. And then do your thing. That's real, though. That's real. Very real. I mean, you know, I always quote Deion Sanders. He said, if you look good, you play good. You know? right. And if you play good, it pays good. Right. If you pay good, you look good. I mean, he just went on and on and on, it's but you get it. You know what I mean? Like once you start to embody, um, you know, what you want to do and start to hone in on it and really live and breathe what you want to do, you know, sky's the limit. Is your dad who you got the salsa dancing from? No, my dad, that, you know, my dad was African-American. It was on my mom's side. Got it. You know, my mom's Puerto Rican and my grandmother, I grew up with my, my grandparents until I was about eight or nine years old. And they're always salsa. They're always playing music, whether it was salsa, whether it was merengue, whether it was bachata. They was always just playing something. And whether it was Monday at three o'clock or Saturday night, you know what I mean. They were always playing music, and my grandmother would kind of pick me up and teach me all the dances, and you know, make sure I always knew. And she was like, "You're gonna thank me later when you wanna, you know, court girls and talk to women." When you wanna thank- court girls? Yeah, like you're gonna that. thank me later. And I was like, "All right, whatever." And here we are. Fast forward. Uh, you know, I've half courted women using the salsa dance, if you will. Well, there you go. There you go. I, I think it's super interesting, too, because I can imagine when you first thought about doing that as a touchdown celebration, you assumed a lot of people would make fun of you for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's like the fact that you did it and people thought that is what made it special and unique. Because mm-hmm. if it wasn't that, then other people would have done it before you, other people would do it after you. But the fact that you actually jumped and just did it. Is what made it awesome. Yeah, and, I, and I think it was, uh, I think it was the authenticity behind it too, right? Because right? once people started to, once people saw me do it, and then they started to ask, like, "Yo, why? Who, who is this guy? Why is he doing this?" And then they start to see my story and starts to, my story starts to unfold to them a little bit. They're like, "Oh, he's Puerto Rican. Oh, he grew up 15 minutes from Giant Stadium. Oh, he, you know, his mom's like, okay, like now we're in, like we're buying in. He's one of us. Like, let's do it." You grew up 15 minutes from MetLife. I grew up in Patterson, New Jersey, which is roughly 20 minutes or so from MetLife. Yeah. Wow. Pretty crazy. That's insane. It's a gift and a curse. It's a gift because obviously I'm home, right? Like I can literally drive home after the game and get a home cooked meal from mom's, right? Or if she's at the game, you know, it's a family thing. Right. But it's a curse because I got to get like 35 tickets to every home game. Of course. And it was just like, but there was no questions asked. It was like, all right. Well, well you have no choice. I have zero you choice. You have no choice. So, and, every, and everybody knows like we don't have, you know, all our tickets aren't free. We get three free tickets and then everything else they take out of our check. Yeah, three in like in the family section. And then everything else is kind of scattered around. You know, you have priority if you've been there a certain number of years, but... For right. the most part, is uh, they kind of scattered around. But those tickets ain't cheap, man. They getting it, they getting it all out of me. I met no, like it's not. Sure. Actually, I'm coming back. Some of my friends that uh, you guys owe me a little bit. Uh, maybe not money, but we'll tickets. We'll talk, we'll talk about <laughs> it later. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> That's funny. No, yeah, that is definitely an underrated thing, and I'm sure it completely changes once you're in the playoffs. Because mm-hmm. you know, in baseball, so like right now, the Yankees are about to be in the playoffs. Good luck to them, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, they get no tickets. Not. Zero, Zero tickets for the playoffs? Because the second it's the playoffs, mm-hmm. it's no longer a Yankees-run event. It's an MLB-run event. Oh. Is it the same in the NFL, or is it still by no, the No, I team? think it's still by the team. Because I feel like 
although it's an NFL thing, the team still controls the seating and the tickets and the you know and things of that nature. I believe for the most part. But yeah, I think it's still we still get the same number of tickets and we can still order more. But you got to get right. in early because obviously playoffs and I'm not gonna yeah. bring up the Super Bowl. They don't even give you anymore. You get 15 as a player. And then they wipe your hands clean. You can't get any more. Unless someone... 15 for the Super Bowl. 15 for the Super That's Bowl. That's a lot of money, though. It is. <laughs> but not for me. I have no, 15 has, friends that have... nothing to do with it. I had a couple friends that drove to the game. They're like, listen, it's right in Indianapolis. We're just going to rent a car. And I'm just like, all right, whatever whatever you guys want, man. We're just going to fly from Japan real yeah, quick. whatever. We're just, in China. No big deal. We'll be there. Layovers. Be there we'll for there. the game tomorrow. Ooh. That's one of those things where people would do that. Um, I, I would have to imagine, though, it's super annoying as a player to have to deal with those kind of things during games because even like and I have nothing to do with the game I didn't even make my JV basketball team that's why I started doing broadcasting but um, I, I can only imagine what how annoying that is before games to have to deal with that kind it's of insane stuff. it's insane but then I start to as much as I try to delegate it to like people that you know kind of you know work on my team and things like that I still get the direct you know I still right. get the direct hey I'm coming up this week or hey we good on those two tickets right like right. that's the best one it's like <laughs> you already you already got like locked in you're like oh we're good on those two right this big week coming up like yeah man whatever just come like, oh yeah by the way I got another couple family members exactly coming in. by the way I need three more can you pull it off and it's like Friday night and I'm like can you pull it off games on Sunday Sunday morning hits you in the locker room <sighs> it's the worst how do you keep your, your mental clear during games like, is there any trick that you use that even people can apply to, like, business or, or whatever, or sports or whatever it is? That well, there's two clear? things. I still do it now, even before game days, is uh, every morning I try to meditate for, like, 20 to 30 minutes. Just to kind of, before I grab my phone and jump on Instagram and, like, talk to, you know, before I start my life day, I try to meditate for, like, 25 to 30 minutes just to kind of hone in on my thoughts and kind of, relax my brain and kind of you know get my body and brain ready for the day do you just do that or do you use an app that helps you with it i kind of just do that i kind of sat with this uh this guy that does mantras or that you know that, that meditates he's like a master meditator and he kind of sat me down and we did this whole kind of process on like getting to my mantra and using that as a tool to calm myself down and calm my brain down and uh and really start to it, it really has changed my whole attitude too because i you know, because I'm calm and because I try to I try to do it twice a day, it's kind of tough with my schedule. But because I go into the day calmer, my reactions to certain things that may have robbed me up before, may have led me to act out of character, don't really happen anymore. Mm. You know, those things I kind of just think maturity. it's maturity, and it helps me. Th- I think through those things as opposed to letting them affect me as much as they as much as they did in the past. How do you think through those things? Well, just by okay, if someone says something to me that would typically rile me up before or lead to a negative reaction, I would just be quiet and I would just think about it and I would just say, okay, I don't wanna, I don't wanna respond by yelling back. I don't wanna match, I don't wanna respond the same way they gave it to me. I wanna relax and be calm and say, you know what? I'm not a, I'm not gonna answer that That's question right problem. now. That's their problem. Yeah, like, you know what? You got, you, you got some issues right now. Right. And maybe I should call you later when you're calm and then we can have a rational conversation. And I think that's all, maturity is a big thing with that, obviously, because if this was five, you know, ten years ago, I'm yelling at the top of my lungs. We're having a full argument on the phone, or whatever right. the case may be. That I would let whatever that is affect me more than it does now. Now I'm just like, man, I'm good. Like I don't want no part to that. But holla at me again when you're calm, and we can have a. Ra- I'm, I'm down for a rational conversation. Yeah. 
But the thing that gets me, that would, you know, make my blood boil, get me upset, or make me, you know, um, act out of character, those things don't happen anymore. And it's because I'm going to the day more mentally ready, and, uh, and meditation helps me with that. Because I think what stems from being quiet is just time. Mm-hmm. And time heals anything. It is the greatest superpower, weapon, force field, I love it. whatever I love it time. is. Mainly, because, I mean, probably for all the wrong reasons, but, you know, when I was young... <laughs> And, like, you know, you deal with girls and you break up with them and they get angry with you. And you're like, you know what? Time's going to heal all. And you're going to come back around. And they typically do. Yep. So all, all advice to all you young guys out there in love, if that goes awry, they're going to come back at some point in time. It might be 30 years, 25 years, 10 years, 15 years. Be patient. That's a very valuable lesson. We're here learning lessons today. See? <laughs> <laughs> We're learning. That's good. So you are, since you grew up in New Jersey, does that then make you a Nets fan on the basketball front? Um, or have you always been? I've always been Knicks. Good. That's the correct <laughs> answer. like good. But it was, I, I was always been Knicks, but respected the Nets because I always understood, like, I grew up in the Jason Kidd, Kenya Martin, Kerry Kittles, Vince Carter. Like, I grew up in that era. So I understood it and I respected it and I would, you know, go to some games here and there. But the Knicks to me just always, it was just the glitz and the glam of New York City. So who did you grow up watching on the Knicks? On the Knicks it was, I mean, it was John Starks, it was Patrick Ewing. Oh my God. It was the last those time years, they were Alan halfway Houston. mediocre. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the last time they were, you know, even a decent squad. Right. Um, I mean, no disrespect to Melo in the year they made the playoffs with JR winning six man of the year, all Hell that yeah. stuff. Um but yeah, man, so I, it was always, and just more so, obviously the team, but more so just the energy. Whenever I would watch Knicks games on TV, and whenever you would just see them being talked about, you'd just be like, there was a, a certain aura there about that team right. and about New York City that I was like, I like that. I want to be a part of that. You know what, what I mean? just came across my social media timeline, you remember the Friday Night Knicks song? Yes. It was like, it was an anthem. Yes, like that was Like when that came on, you serious. sat down and you watched a full game. Yep. You watched them lose, but you watched the whole game. <laughs> and it was so much fun. But it gave you hope. And it I think that's so what hope. the Knicks did for me was give me hope, especially coming from the years that I was watching. It still gives me hope to this day. And there's also nothing better than going to a game. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be even better when they put you on the jumbo trying to play your highlights for 25,000 people <laughs> on any night you want to. That's pretty, but, that is pretty cool. But the, just being at those games and feeling that, you know, and the best thing about, obviously, New York and where we are, Madison Square Garden, every game sold out. They could be playing whoever. It doesn't it's matter. it's a tourist attraction. It's a tourist attraction. That's the problem. Yeah. Is it, a, is it the problem? That's the problem. I don't I like tourists. Uh, Not at you. all. I feel you on that. Not at all. I grew up in Dumbo, Brooklyn, okay. and one of the main reasons we moved, apart from like hurricanes or whatever, mm-hmm. was around the water, was because of the tourists. Like, nice. we moved there in 2008, mm-hmm. when I was eight, we left in 2015. That thing and boomed in boomed. those years, literally. And by the end, we were on the second floor in an apartment building, and these, these Asian and Japanese tour buses were unloading into oh, like our alleyway. That's great, to take that photo by the bridge. I like tourists. The, the, the famous love love <laughs> hate relationship. I mean, I feel the same way. I feel the same way when I drive through 42nd Street. And I just get, and I literally, I mean, if I'm in an Uber, you know how sometimes you're in an Uber and you're just looking at your phone and you're texting and you look up and you're like, why the fuck are we in Times Square? Like, why? Right. You just get angry. You're like, Times sir, Square. can we make a left? Can we get off this block, please? He's like, we're already through it, man. We just got to keep going. It's like, <laughs> Times Square just gives me, like, I start to itch when I get through Times Square. Mm. Just so much happening and so many people. What are your favorite places to go to be at in New York City? 
Favorite places to be at in New York City. Um, I love a good, I, I mean, a lot of my friends have been fortunate to have like rooftops and like different cribs and areas. Like my friend has a rooftop spot in Tribeca that's like amazing. I know that's like super bougie, but like, I just like seeing the city that way. Like similar to this, like I came up here, I'm like, oh, this is what we're doing today? Like I can do this. I just like seeing the landscape of the city and seeing exactly what the city has to offer in the lights. It's just inspiring, you know what I mean? Right, I think perspective too, like mm -hmm. one of the things that's unfortunate about New York might be a little bit better in New Jersey, but when you look up, you can't see the stars. Mm -hmm. That's like the best perspective in the world. And the second closest thing, which in some ways is better, some ways worse, is like a skyline. Mm -hmm. Like a really good skyline mm -hmm. is just the best. It's insane, especially when you can like look out your window or go to the roof of your building and see that entire skyline like that. Like. You can't beat that. I could literally pull up a chair and just have a conversation with friends, have a drink or whatever, and like, and just take that all in. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. If you'd only wear one pair of shoes for the rest of your life, oh, man. apart from your own shoes, okay? Because I know you have your own shoes. <laughs> I was definitely gonna go there, but okay, I'll pick apart from shoe. your own shoes, which which would it be? Um, this is tough because I love shoes so much. But if I had to go back, because these sneakers probably mean the most to me, it's a Jordan Three, okay. black. Black Jordan 3 for me, um, mainly because of just the story. Like, just the, just MJ wearing one colorway for the dunk contest, wearing another colorway for the All-Star game. And then I just remember my first time seeing that shoe in person and being like, this is one of the best shoes I've ever seen. Like, mm. from the height of it, from the style, from the original colorways that were fired, and just all of it embodying together like that was that was a shoe that i looked at and was like this is amazing i need to have a hundred pairs somehow and i just adored that shoe so if i had to pick one it'd be that if you could have any shoe in the world okay that you don't have right now okay put a little feeler out there okay what would that shoe be if i could have any shoe in the world or do you have literally every shoe I in do, the world i wish i had every shoe in the world. <laughs> i do not have every shoe in the world contrary to popular like i know belief. you probably saw pj tucker's sample yeezys there are a lot of little little low-key shoes got, out there that people don't 100%, know about 100 100 are there I, any models where they're like a sample you would want or something like I that i would go with the this is a shoe i always wanted with was the what the sbs the, the what the dunk sbs the what does are insane. Just insane. Oh and like, God. I'm dying for Nike to bring them back out or do Why something. Why haven't they? I think they're just trying, I mean, I'm not mad at them. Like, let's let's keep some of these grailed for as long as possible. Sure. Like, let's keep these, because in the era now where everything's just coming out and everything's dropping and everything's coming back. Wide releases are the just, worst. Just let's hold on to some of our gems, man. And, and the, the funny thing is, years from now, we have, like, there's gems that are coming out now mm -hmm. that 10, 20 years from now, kids are going to be saying, I wish I had those. So yeah. like, let's keep that gem tradition going. You know what I mean? Let's For not sure. let's not start. You know, keep retroing your shoes too early. I think the right. there's a couple of retros that have been a little too early for me. Yeah, and there definitely are like a lot of interesting like shoe stories as far as like value going up. Like the Witherspoons, for example. I was told yesterday that they're selling for over two grand now. It's insane. Because of the relationship between him and Nike mm -hmm. that just got completely discombobulated for whatever reason. That's great. Uh, now the value. Mm -hmm. Same with the Travis Scott low top, uh, you know, Jordan 1s. The low tops too? I guess there was like, they like stopped selling them or discontinued them for the, re for the wider release. So the price literally shot up from like 350 to like 750. Oh my like God. Like overnight. Once that got announced, the price shot up. Where, like, where are you buying your sneakers? Are you going online or are you going through friends? 
So I'm going through friends like. Or are they just showing up? Well, let, yes, that's a, that's that's also it. Like I, you know, I'm very very blessed, and I can't even say it enough to be honest. Um, that I there are boxes that tend to show up to my home with glorious pairs of sneakers in them, and that's a blessing. It's great, um, but also um, I do like to hunt for some shoes. So I'm I'm. You know, I'm, I go to my friends at Kith, or I go to my friends at Sneaker Room in Jersey. Those are kind of the only two guys, or the only two joints that I have relationships Never with. Never heard of Sneaker Room. So Sneaker Room in Jersey City, New Jersey. Um, shout out to my man Sarah. He, just, he actually just dropped a breast cancer shoe. He does one every year oh, for uh, for his mom that had passed away to breast cancer. Oh, so sad. now he's collaborated with Nike the, I want to say the past two or three years. Um, and done collaborations with them. This wow. year was the, uh, the Reacts. Um, which was like fire. One was all pink, one was like black gradient to pink. They really crushed it. Then in the years prior, we did an air trainer cruise. We did a pink okay. uh, air trainer cruise for that. And I think that, that might have been the first Nike collaboration that we've done. And they came out sick. And uh, he's been doing it every year and gaining more and more notoriety. Kind of each and every year, they kind of get bigger and bigger. So right. he's crushing it. And he's doing some collabs with Kyrie Irving as well. He's already done a couple uh, with Kyrie. So. That jersey connection is strong. That's super sick. Mm-hmm. If you could put your spin on any historic shoe, what would you do to it? Oh, and which shoe would it be? I wasn't ready for these questions. Okay, um, if I had to these put are, a spin... These are the, the hardest-hitting questions the hardest you've ever get. Um, if I had to put my spin on any shoe... Um, let me think. Well, I kind of did put my spin on a shoe with the Air Force One, but if I had to put a spin on any shoe... It would be, um, man. Okay, I think I would remix. So I would remix the Air Max 95. Okay. I know it's a classic, but what I would do to it is I would kind of figure out a way to kind of make it a mid. I would kind of make it a little higher um, Mm -hmm. and see if I can raise that kind of, um, see what I can, you know, how I can make that upper kind of come up a little bit more. I don't know. Like, I'm already, I'm like literally like picturing the shoe, but like, I would try to figure out how to make that shoe a mid because that shoe is so fire as a low. And I think um, that shoe as a mid would be fire. Because I remember 97, I think Ricardo Tishi did like a 97, kind of put like these leather kind of bindings on the top and made it a mid. And kind of, it was like dope. It tied up tight, tied up high, and kind of had the same kind of vibe as the 97, but it had this mid feel. And I was like, oh, this is dope. So, I would kind of figure out how to do that in the 95. What keeps you motivated today in now October of 2019? Um, what keeps me motivated today is just the, the pursuit of more. Like I'm just not satisfied with being an analyst on ESPN and obviously having a football career, winning a Super Bowl. And you know, my child who's seven years old, who I obviously love dearly and want to continue to watch her grow. Like I'm not satisfied with all these things. I want to right. continue to do better taking acting classes right now. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to like... Movie crews. I'm just trying to like diversify, continue to diversify my, my portfolio, so to speak. So I'm just not satisfied. I think the moment I become satisfied with what I'm doing or complacent in where I'm at in life, that's when I fail, that's, right? That's, that's when it's a wrap. So I just want to always be continuing to do things, continuing to speak to people, tell my story, you know, I've been booked for like speaking engagements now, and people just want to hear my story and hear me speak. So, why not? You it's know, really I'm just good story, you might as well. Yeah, right? So, <laughs> I've just been blessed to have a unique story that people care about and want to hear from. And, um, and I'm just going to continue to tell my story and 
and kind of walk that path and see where it leads. I think too, one of like the most fun things for me is just like thinking about learning a new skill and then starting to do it and slowly getting like a little bit better. And even if it's random, like, mm-hmm. like I taught myself how to juggle a couple of weeks ago and now I'm learning how to like juggle a soccer ball. But like these random things that mean nothing, but just like seeing progress, which I'm sure you saw like at the greatest scale in sports and then, you know, in broadcasting, which football then pushed you towards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun, man. Man, it's huge. And then the best part about, like, the acting classes, right, that's so foreign to me. Right. And you know that's what, what makes it like, so I've good. Like, I've done some things. I was on Ballers, and, I, you know, I, I kind of understand how it works. But, like, digging deeper, like, Ballers, I was playing myself. So I'm not really – yeah, I had to learn lines. So, you know, you kind of have to learn that. But other than that, I'm just being me. So it's like there's no real acting really involved. But right. the day I have to be another character or another person with a different personality and a different set of goals, like – it's so foreign to me. So doing that, you know, getting in there with these acting coaches, like I feel like I'm playing football again, or I'm beginning to learn the game again. That's I gotta good, take notes. Then, then you're locking in mentally, and now, you're just gonna win. Exactly. Like it's over. So every time I apply that level of, uh, you know, attention to detail, like I do in football, to anything else, good things usually come from that. So that's what I'm doing, man. Just continue to apply myself in all these different areas and taking it from there. I love that. How do you stay physically in shape mm-hmm. when you don't need to be? <laughs> um, I think just mentally Because that's what it is for the average person It really is I mean, but for me um, I'm, I've been working out since I was like 10 years old Like my dad used to bring me to the to the park And we do pull-ups on the on the monkey bars mm-hmm. Like that was our initial form of working out Was doing right. calisthenics, dips, pull-ups Wide grip, close grip You know, reverse, doing it back Like all types of stuff Like we do all of that So I've always been working out So even though I'm done playing I was like, well, I still gotta look good I still gotta like fit into these suits the right way and fit into my clothes the right way the way I want to. I can't lose. Gotta be able to salsa the right way. Gotta be able to, gotta make sure these hips stay mobile. (laughs) Um, And also my trainer just really doesn't understand what retirement is. Right. And he's just like, we literally still do the same exact workouts. Uh, only th- only difference is now I can say no and not feel bad about it. Right. So when he says, you know, we got bench pressing, I'm like, I'm not benching today. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, thank you for asking. Now that I'm in retirement, I can kind of choose what I want to do. But that always t- kind of goes out the window, and I end up bench pressing anyway. But, um, but yeah, I think I still work out or try to work out three to four times a week and, um, and kind of go from there. I'm always interested in professional athletes from a dietary standpoint. Mm-hmm. What did you do throughout your career, and what do you still maintain from a diet standpoint? Well, uh, well... It's something that I started kind of this January after I was done playing. I stopped really? eating. I stopped eating red meat and pork. Oh, okay. Um, but prior to that, I was kind of eating everything mainly because my workout regimen was so just strenuous and strong, and my metabolism was so good that I just you know burning calories at a rapid pace and just staying in shape due to my profession, obviously. So I was never really a junk food guy anyway. I was never a guy that ate really bad anyway. Right. But I was just mainly. Um, you know, eating things that were provided at the cafeteria. When I would go home, I would have these, you know, well-prepared meals. So my diet was always intact. It was always there. It was just, I never really had a conscious, like, oh, I can't eat this, or I'm only going to eat this today, or because, because I was working out so much that I right. I knew what time it was. You Regardless know? of what you're doing. I actually pay more attention now. Now I'm like, okay, time to, like, be in the other side of it. So I, gave, I cut red right. meat and pork from my diet. And, um, have you noticed a difference? I have. I, I've noticed a difference in my body, the way like my body is shaping out now. I'm leaner than I was. I had really? a lot of, 
I had a lot of muscle mass, you know what I mean, that I had on my body. And now that I've, you know, not training as much, with, with, you know, now that I'm not playing anymore, um, th- my body started to change. And then cutting that out of my regimen, I'm doing more yoga now. I'm just living a different life now, man. So it's uh, so my body changes a little bit, but for the most part, I haven't lost a lot of like toning and things of that nature that I wanted to keep. I think one of the coolest things about being a professional athlete that actually understands you know, the length of a career and the longevity of a career is how young you are when you stop playing and how much time you have. Like you could become an Academy Award winning actor mm-hmm. if you put the 10,000. I like the way that sounded. Can you say it again one more time? Like, Academy Award winning actor. It has a nice ring to it's, it too. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Keep up the lessons. Exactly. It's on the way. Exactly. But you know, like being able to commit those 10,000 hours to something after you've been at the top of the world mm-hmm. in your sport is super interesting. So I'm curious, five, 10 years down the road, where, where do you see yourself allocating those 10,000 hours? Oh man, I think I will be a full-time actor by then, hopefully, but really? also doing other things within, you know, with around that, obviously acting, you shoot, you know, three, four months at a time and there's still more time throughout the year to do other things. So I think I'll be that. I think um, I'll be in a position, you know, to help others. I think with my foundation and things that I'm doing in that regard, the, you know, being an actor and things like that elevate certain things in certain areas of my life to be able to give more to my foundation and give more, you know, give back more to the children, to the kids. I think that's another thing that I, that I want to do. And then I think football will still be a part of my life somehow, some way. How, I don't really know just yet, but I do think I will always have a presence, obviously, because that's where my start began was in 100%. football. So that's where the passion was. Exactly. So yeah. I think all those things kind of uh, combined is, is where I'll be five to ten years from now. And that also reminds me, my daughter would be like seventeen then, and that's crazy. That's also that's pretty whole scary. Another problem. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> there you go. Now I'm curious uh, from from a couple different standpoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, what are the goals with the foundation, okay. and how can people help? Okay. But also. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's really the question. How can people help? What well, do you want to do? Well, first of all, you can find out more at uh, victorcruzfoundation.org. Um, we have a ton of information on there about what we're doing, things that we're into. If, for people that don't know this, the foundation is geared towards STEM education, okay. which is science, technology, engineering, and math. And we started with the Boys and Girls Club of my hometown in Patterson, New Jersey, as well as the Brooklyn Navy Yard, because... I felt like I was a Boys and Girls Club kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember being there and not having a lot of the resources to advance myself in school the way that they do now. And I always would come in, do my homework, and then I would go play. But I realized that I wasn't advancing myself or learning much outside of me completing my homework and then going to play and have snack and all of those things. So I visited the White House Science Fair one year and I saw this young kid, he was probably around 12 or 13 years old, and he had lost his niece in a back seat of a car because his uncle was used to the same routine of driving to work, driving the two kids to school and then going to work every day. That he didn't, he didn't realize that his newborn was part of that routine and got to work and left the baby in the car. No. Baby overheated and, and passed away. So this kid made a neck pillow, or it was a comfortable, like, a, it resembled a neck pillow, but it did so much more. It, it had an application that you would download on your phone to where if your kid is overheating, which helped with, if your kid has a fever, it'd help you, it would obviously, you would see that first through this app before, you know, the baby starts crying or gets sick or things of that nature. So he made this neck pillow that 
did that. And if the if your child, let's say that happened again, and he left his child in the back seat, and that child got to a certain temperature, an alert will go to your phone and tell you that hey, you left something in the car and it's overheated, and you know whatever the case may be. So, I saw this at the age of 13, 12, 13 years old, and I was like, I need to have the kids that I know that grew up around me or that grew up in my neighborhood to have the same level of resources that this kid had in order to make things like this. So that's why I started the foundation in 2014. And um, that's and huge, like that's there. very real. So crazy. Like most things aren't real, mm-hmm. that's like very, very real. Yeah, it's very real and, and it's and it's an area that kids, and now the kids in my, of the Boys and Girls Club of Patterson, they're making like robotics and they're, they're, they're taking robotics classes and they're making underwater submarines out of Legos that are you know, remote controlled and they're building these things with their hands and they're just having fun. They're not even realizing that it's science or technology. They're just building these things and having a good time and, and enjoying it. And and I think that's the best part is that they don't even know that they're doing, you know, science related activities and who knows, one or two or all of them will go into a field that's related to that down the line. One of my last questions here, where did you learn hard work? I think I learned hard work from my parents, specifically my mom, who, you know, I grew up in a single parent household and my mom, you know, traveled an hour to work every day, an hour back, obviously, just to put food on the table every single day. She would leave work, drop my, me and my sister off, 8.30, 9 o'clock, make her way to work, drive an hour, work all day, drive back, pick me up from basketball practice sometimes or, you know, just the uh, immense amount of sacrifice that she would make for us as her children was just like next level. And I was like, my mother showed that to me at an early age to where I now have that with my daughter. Like I spend immense amounts of time with her. I take her places, I experience things with her. I show her, you know, the rights and wrong things to do, how to behave, how to react, how to act. So like, I just, you know, as well as that work ethic that my mom instilled in me. So, you know, I think watching her go through all of that as a kid really helped me understand what hard work really was you know like she bought a house for us by herself on her own like she mortgaged the house and you know those things were kind of unheard of where I come from where I grew up to have you know a parent be able to buy a home and mortgage it and make enough money to keep up with the payments and all of those things those things were relatively unheard of in in, in my day and age that's big yeah huge final question I have for you three recommendations Mm -hmm. to give to those out there they can have anything to do with anything. You, okay. could, you could be naming a pair of shoes, you could be naming a location to go to a restaurant to hit a clothing brand to wear. Okay. Three recommendations, your foundation to check out, which I'll plug at the end again. Okay. But three recommendations about literally anything. Okay, three recommendations about literally everything. Um, one is if you go to catch, make sure you have the lobster roll. Um, second one is, um, okay, let me think. Okay, um, if you're, a uh, second recommendation, if you see me sitting courtside at a Nick game, come say what up. Um, and lastly, uh, blah, 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 blah. I know you love Kith. The last recommendation, I can throw Kith in there, but everybody knows that. I'm not going to bring the little, okay, third recommendation, if you go to Kith, make sure you try the 80 ice cream at the, uh, at the, uh, at the Kith Treat Station. There you go. You'll see it on the left, Victor Cruz. It's the best one on there. I know my girlfriend has one on there as well, but trust me, this is, trust me. The 80. You won't be disappointed. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Victor Cruz. You can find him, Team Vic, on Instagram. Go check mm-hmm. out his foundation. Keep up with him. Thank you. My man. Peace.